Hi. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Nice weather yesterday? Yep. My name's Ken. I'm, uh, didn't need that. I'm one of the uh, pastors here on staff. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. Um, <clears throat> before we start, uh, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. <clears throat> I'm actually going to give you 30 seconds to a minute uh, to think about your answer to this question quietly on your own, in your own head. You don't need to share with your neighbor. I don't want you to share with your neighbor because this is a hard question to share with your neighbor. So, um, a hard answer to share with your neighbor. So, um, what is it that you want? What do you want from life? It's <laughs> a big question. And I thought, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to drop it, and I'm going to let it sit with you, okay? Uh, and I don't want you to, well, I'm in church, so I need to think about, well, probably I should want Jesus. I mean, that's fine. If you want Jesus, that's great. That's a good answer. I really want you to think about what you really, what does your heart want most? Um, I want to pray. God, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for who you are. Father, thank you for creating us and this place that we reside in. <laughs> thank you for Jesus and When we have turned, when we turn away from you, you provided a way back to you. <laughs> so we are grateful for uh, your grace in calling us back to you through your Son. And we're thankful to be together this morning, and we're thankful that you deeply care about us and. <clears throat> what we want. I pray that you'd help us to just meet you today um, as we consider, uh, again, the story of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and um, their interaction with Jesus and open us up to truth that you want to speak to us today um, through this story. 
give this time to you, Jesus, and pray you're um, glorified and honored by it. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are, these last few weeks of the semester, we are um, in a series called On the Emmaus Road, and we are taking a look at <coughs> this walk uh, that two disciples had with Jesus on the day of his resurrection. Um, the first week, Rob introduced this series, uh, the, the uh, Sunday, right when we got back from spring break. Some of you maybe were not here. Uh, and he, I think he said some important things for us as we think about um, walking with Jesus in particular. He talked about uh, walking, uh, our, our walk with Jesus is always, uh, or just walk is a metaphor for our life with Jesus, our life with God. Um, I think some of us that maybe come from church, grew up in church, uh, you might get the question, how's your walk? And that can be a guilt-inducing um, question, or it can be a, a pride filling, uh, filling you with pride uh, question because you can answer, oh, my walk with Jesus is just great. Uh, or if it's the guilt-inducing one, then my walk with Jesus is just terrible. Um, and we want to kind of, we want to reclaim this uh, metaphor of walk, our walk with God. Our walk with God is a metaphor, simply uh, pointing to, our, to the intimacy, to the dependency, to our relationship with God. I walked with my wife yesterday for about an hour at a park, and it was just the two of us, and we walked around in circles around this pond um, and talked. Uh, she, just, yeah, she had her appendix out a couple of weeks ago, um, and both of us were kind of realizing that it was, it was kind of a bigger deal than we thought, and uh, for us, just internally, emotionally, uh, and just talked about really deep things about life and the fragility of life, and it was really good. It was, it was a, a time of, uh, the walk was simply a time of, um, for us to have int intimacy with each other and dependency on each other and just to be in relationship with each other. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. We, we read in Genesis um, right after uh, Adam and Eve had eaten the, from the tree that they weren't uh, supposed to eat from, that God, uh, Adam heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So to me, that implies they walked together in the garden uh, before uh, the fall. From the beginning, God has walked with us. He wants to walk with us. And we want to reclaim this idea of our walk with Christ to be simply our journey with God through life. Not if we're doing it well or doing it poorly, doing it really well or doing it really poorly. I want to get away from that and just think about the fact that it's a walk. The disciples literally walked with Jesus. That's what they did. They simply followed him around, listening to him, learned from him, not always understanding him, trying to do what he was doing successfully every once in a while, but they just simply walked with him. As his disciples today, we are doing the same. We're following him. We're walking with him. We're listening. We're trying to learn. We're, trying to, we're attempting to live our life like him and for him. Dallas Willard says, discipleship is a process of establishing the character of Christ in us. It's a walk. And so we are spending these uh, last six weeks of the semester in this one story in Luke chapter 24. It's about a specific walk with two disciples that Jesus had right on the day of his resurrection. We want to spend time in this post-Easter story as we prepare to celebrate Easter in just a couple of weeks. So each week we've been reading the entire story, uh, and we will do that again this morning. Uh, and then we take a specific look at just a few verses from this walk with Jesus each Sunday to guide us as we consider 
our own walk with him. So we're going to read together um, Luke 24. If you want to follow along, you can pull out your Bibles and do so. I'll have it on this. This will be on the screen. Also, this is uh, everyone that stood up here and preached this talks about how much they love this story. And I love this story. I, I feel silly saying it because everyone that stood up there said it has said it. But it's an amazing, deep, rich story. So if you just want to listen to the story, you can close your eyes and just listen. If you like to read along, follow along, that's great. Um, we want you to just listen and kind of take in the whole story as we think about uh, this one particular part of the story today. Uh, Luke 24, 13 through 35 says this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he had broke the bread. So, so far in our series, we've examined the, the importance, the, the, the magnitude of Jesus approaching them, walking with them, with the disciples on the road, that the God of the universe, first and foremost, would come to earth, put on flesh, and come near us, but then specifically these two disciples on the road on the day of his resurrection. And last week, we looked at how Jesus graciously engaged the disciples and us in their, pro in their processing of what had happened. Um, he did not just appear and say, ta-da, here I am. He didn't rush in to fix or correct he gave them space to kind of work through, talk through what was going on inside of them. Today, we're going to look specifically more at what was actually going on inside of them. So these are our verses for today, uh, 17 through 24. I'm going to read those again. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. In particular, the, verse, the, the, the phrase, at least, I want us to focus on and think about today is uh, verse 21. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We get a glimpse here of how that these two disciples are processing and interpreting what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. They are sad, right? Verse um, 17 says their faces were downcast. Other translations said they simply they were, they were sad. They thought Jesus was a prophet, a public prophet that had power from God. But they don't mention king or son of God or Messiah, simply prophet. Then their, their priests, our priests and rulers killed him, they said. But we had hoped, it's past tense, hoped, hoped. They did hope, they are no longer hoping. <laughs> that's past tense. For those of you that don't understand English grammar, that's, past tense. that's what past tense is, right? They had hoped. We had hoped he was the one. They no longer are hoping. Their hopes are dashed. They're disappointed. He is not the guy to redeem Israel like they thought. They were most likely thinking about the redemption of Israel similar to what happened in Exodus when God um, brings his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They are delivered. They are redeemed. That same word is used, redeemed. They were hoping in a similar fashion that Jesus had come to free them from their Roman captors. They weren't slaves necessarily, but they were uh, under Roman rule. It has been three days. It's, Jesus has got to be dead and gone. Um, word would have gotten around. How do you not know this? That, <laughs> then our women, our women came, and they amazed us because they said they couldn't find his body today. They saw angels who said Jesus was alive. And then some of our other disciples went, and it was just as the women had said, no body, but they did not see Jesus. They are severely, these disciples are severely disappointed they st stood still looking sad, discouraged. I just think about um, uh, Charlie Brown, right? Charlie Brown, do you know Charlie Brown? Maybe some of you don't know Charlie Brown. They just like sit, put, his, put his hands, they're just like this. We had hoped he was the one. Jesus did not come through for them like they thought he would, and they are severely, severely bummed out. When have you let yourself hope for something like the disciples did, only to have your hopes dashed? Maybe that came up even when I asked you, what do you want, <laughs> as you were thinking about that before we started. What does that experience do to you? Has it robbed your ability to hope now, or do you still allow yourself to hope? 
Every year, the beginning of the year, every season, I tell myself I am not going to hope or get excited about Purdue basketball. Every year, I tell myself, I've been here a long time. I was a freshman in 96. I love this university. I love our teams. I, I love it more now than I did when I was a student. And every year, I tell myself, don't get excited. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. And every year, I get my hopes up. Uh, but this year, this year was different. This year, we made it to the Elite Eight, right? And so it's like, we haven't been to Elite Eight since 2000. I was a student in 2000, okay? It was a long time ago. <laughs> I remember that it was, a t- oh, it was a terrible game. Once again, disappointed at the end of the Elite Eight game, but we made the Elite Eight. It's been tw- uh, almost 20 years. We haven't been in the Elite Eight. We made it to the Elite Eight. And then, of course, you know, we don't win uh, this game this year. Uh, but I- I remember I sat, I was thinking, I was sitting with my wife and we were watching, finished the game and I was you know, like, I'm not, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not as disappointed as I thought I would be as I have been in many years past and I think I've just totally desensitized, I don't allow my, I think I've, I think I've finally done it. I have not, I'm not going to allow myself to hope anymore in our Purdue basketball team. I love them and I will follow them forever, but I, I'm not going to, I'm going to guard my heart against that. <laughs> I know that's silly, it's just sports. But have you let yourself hope for something like this, like the disciples did, only to have your hopes dashed? I don't know about you. I can tend to not want to think about the things that I want because I don't want to be disappointed in those things not happening. However, Jesus very much wants us to be in touch with our desires and the things that we want what do you want me to do for you, (laughs) is a question that Jesus asks quite a bit in the Gospels. One of the earliest disciples to follow him, Jesus meets uh, them in John chapter 1, and they come up behind him, and the first first words of Jesus in John are, what are you looking for? Mark 10, there's a blind man who wants to be healed, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Also in Mark 10, the disciples, uh, two of the disciples are arguing about uh, sitting at his right hand and his left. And so he knows that they're arguing. He says, what do, you, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? In John 5, Jesus comes along, this crippled man who'd been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? Ruth Haley Barton is an author and um, she has a book uh, where she talks about, actually uses this story as a a kind of a platform for her to talk about our life and community with one another. She says, Jesus loved helping people get in touch with what was deeply true for them in all of his conversations. He wanted honesty from people. He, he, He led people to talk about their hopes and their dreams, their desires, and their disappointments. The disciples rearranged their life for Jesus. They had a real hope, faith even, that Jesus was bringing in this new kingdom. They had staked their lives on it. And now he's dead. He's dead. It's over for them. It's over. But they get a chance to talk to Jesus about that, even though they don't know it's Jesus. Jesus wants us to tell him what we want. The funny thing is he knows, it all, he knows already what you want, so joke's on us. We've been reading John 
in our community groups this year, and something that struck me and stuck with us throughout our study of the gospel this year has been uh, from John 2. Uh, this is right after Jesus had turned the water to wine. And Jesus uh, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And we see that as we've gone through the gospel. We've seen how he knows the people that he interacts with. He knows them deeper than they, honestly, than they even are willing to know themselves at times. Psalm 38 says, All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. He knows what we want. He just wants, he wants us to tell him, and he wants to give us what we want. Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He wants us to be aware of our desires and ask him about, about it. And he is excited to give us what we want. It's in, particularly when it's in line with his will for us in our life. I love giving my, our kids gifts. Uh, it is to watch their face light up is just, is, is super exciting. Um, and sometimes I feel like, I, I, like right now, I really want to buy, our kids are really into this Lego show, Lego Ninjago. It's like old, it's, it's old, uh, but they've been watching it on Netflix, and I really want to buy them some Lego Ninjago stuff, because I also really like Legos, uh, but... <laughs> If I'm honest, full disclosure. Uh, however, uh, I just love for them. They'd be excited about it. Um, my, they, they're, they're with the grandparents this weekend, and my wife like snuck a little present in there for them, and they like texted and just were so excited to get it. They love getting gifts. I love giving my kids gifts. God loves giving us gifts. And he really wants us to get in touch with what our truest, what our deepest desires are, and then he wants to give those to us. I want to turn to Psalm 37. We're going to spend a couple minutes, a few minutes in Psalm 37. So if you want to turn there, I don't have it on the screen. So if you have Bibles, you can pull those out or your applications on your telephones. I'm sorry, your apps on your smartphones. Psalm 37. We're going to look at the first nine verses. says this, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they, soon, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. 
but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So if you've been around church at any, any time, uh, for any length of time, you're probably familiar with at least th- Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So all of us good uh, engineers and mathematicians and science people think, well, this is an easy equation for us. All we have to do is enjoy God, delight in God, and he'll give us anything we want. I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying. If you look more at the passage, at the other verses surrounding this passage, you see other phrases like trust in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him, hope in the Lord. All of that starts with our relationship, our walk with Jesus. Delighting in him, that's first. (laughs) John Piper defines this phrase, delighting in God, he says, as trusting in in God sufficiently so that you can come to rest in who he is for you. Trusting in God, delighting in God is trusting in God sufficiently so that you can come to rest in who he is for you. Piper goes on and says, when you do that, it may also have a profound effect on the kind of desires you must have met in order to be content. When you trust in God sufficiently so that you can come to rest in who he is for you, it may also have a profound effect on the kind of desires you must have met in order to be content. Did you catch that? When we are trusting in God and we rest in who he is for us, our heart is moved. And maybe some of our desires are reframed. Beth Moore talks about this passage and she says that, um, talks about it this way. She says, God will either give you the desire of your heart or he will give you the heart of your desire. You will either get the desire of your heart or he will give you what's underneath the heart behind it. It's not an equation, friends. It's a relationship. It's a walk with God. Trusting him, committing our way to him, being still before him, waiting patiently for him, hoping in him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we actually do that and walk with him and delight in him, trust him sufficiently and rest in who he is, then maybe some of our desires get moved around a little bit and we actually, actually get what we really desire. When I was in college, <clears throat> I profoundly and desperately wanted to be married. Um, I really wanted to be married. Uh, people around me were getting married. Um, Older people were telling me, you will make such a great husband. And that was the last thing I wanted them to say to me to my face, ever. Because there was no spouse on any kind of horizon for me. Nothing. There was was nothing. And I was very frustrated, but I I like, it was a very deep uh, hope and desire that I had. And I It wasn't for lack of trying. I tried. 
I tried pretty hard with a couple of people. Uh, and especially, I, I, just re- I just remember f- like feeling like in the deepest, like the, my gut, like the deepest part of me, like I want this. And this is the person for me, God. Would this just be the person for me? And it wasn't. And they are wonderful people. They really are wonderful people. I like them a lot. So they were wonderful people. I really, I really did like them. But uh, God had something better for me. I had a desire for that, but, it, but there, he had something better. And so I, uh, Rick read that quote uh, about our lesser desires, right? When we trust, our, trust ourselves, when we trust not ourselves, when we trust in the Lord, and we trust ourselves to the Lord, we commit our way to him, we're, we wait patiently for him, we delight ourselves in him, he gives us the desires of our heart, what's actually underneath. And then uh, my wife comes along. <laughs> and I had, I had no idea. I had no idea it could be better than what I thought I wanted. And I'm so thankful. However, there are a lot of us probably in the room who are uh, still feeling like, there are things that you hope for and that you want and that you don't have. And you, maybe you feel strongly like the way I described my uh, longings. And those are really real. And what do you do with those when they are not being met? You really do desire to be married, and there is nothing for you on the horizon right now. Or there's someone in your life who is sick, and you've been praying for them, and they are not getting better. Or there has been someone in your life who you hoped for and prayed would get better and did not get better and passed. Or there's someone in your life who you hope will come to know Jesus, but she is so resistant, there, you, you do not see any path to her coming to be in a relationship with God. There are things in, there are things in my life that I want God desperately have, have asked God to heal in me for years. And there is progress and there is movement, and I am thankful. But I still get frustrated and I'm disappointed when things kind of just come back. And even patterns I see in my family and in in people in my family, I see it in me, and it, it, it's, it's discouraging and disappointing. So what do we do with that? <laughs> well, I think we lament. Uh, Rick read Psalm 77 this morning. That is a lament that we find in the Psalms. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations um, about uh, laments for Jerusalem and for the people of Israel. Um, Mark uh, Rogop is a pastor of College Park Church in Indianapolis. Um, I don't know if you know him. You'd pro- you might not know him, but he uh, has written a book about um, lament. Uh, and he actually is the pastor of Tyler Trent's church uh, in Indianapolis, uh, if you didn't know that. And so he um, wrote a really cool article about Tyler when he passed. And, um, uh, and then just this week, I read another article um, from Mark, uh, and he talks about lament. And he describes lament this way. Lament is different from crying because lament is a form of prayer. That's important for us. Lament is a form of prayer. Is more than just the expression of sorrow or the venting of emotion. It is those things. We read those a lot in the Psalms. Rick read that this morning. 
Lament talks to God about pain, and it has a unique purpose, trust. It is a, divine, it is a divinely given invitation to pour our, out our fears, our frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. That is lament. Lament is when we take our pain to God. And a lot of our pain comes from unmet desires and disappointments, things that we hoped for that didn't come, through, didn't come true for us. And he uh, highlights kind of four steps of lament, and he uses Psalm 13 to kind of guide us through that. It's a really short psalm. I wanna, I, if you want to open to that, you can. If you were in Psalm 37, just flip over to Psalm 13. There's four steps. Again, I don't have this on slides for you, but they're, they're pretty simple kind of steps of lament. The first step is to turn to God. That's the first step, and an, and an important one. Turn to God. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of the Psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So our, the first step in, of lament is just simply to turn to God, not to anything else, or anyone else but to God. The person in pain chooses to turn uh, to talk to God about what's happening. Step two, bring your complaint. So you turn to God and then you bring your complaint. Verse two, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So David is, pro- is having some problems with a particular enemy who's taking advantage of him. So this is his complaint. How long, God, am I going to have to wait for this, this, this is unmet desire to get uh, taken care of? It's not a rehearsing of your anger. It's just an honest, humble recognition of the pain in your life. So you turn to God, you bring your complaint, and you ask for help. Verse uh, 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So we turn to God and we bring our complaint and we ask for help. And then the last two verses, the last step is we choose to trust. Verses five and six. But I have trusted your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So we, in lament, we turn to God. We bring our complaint. We ask for help. And then we choose to trust. And I think very simply what kind of the point for us today with this is lamenting is a turning toward God where if we just sit in our sorrow, it may tempt us to run away from him. The disciples here in this story on the road to Emmaus were, were sad. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. They were, they were sorrowful. And they might really legitimately have been running away. I'm not really sure if they were just done in Jerusalem and they were going back. But Jesus met them as they wrestled with their unfulfilled hopes and desires. And he wanted to hear what they wanted, why they were so disappointed. And they communicated with Jesus about that. And they said, and they, they actually downgrade Jesus, who he really is. I don't know if you caught that or not. He says, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
No mention of the Son of God, no mention of Messiah or Savior, no mention of King. He was a prophet because they had hoped in him and he did not fulfill their hopes. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Their desire died when Jesus died because that was it for them. Jesus didn't restore Israel like God did when he rescued the Jews from Egypt. So from their perspective, that's it. It was over. It's done. But Jesus, after listening to them, took time and showed them who he really is through the scriptures. He is much, much, much more than merely a prophet. They still don't recognize him. They sat down for a meal, and Jesus broke the bread, and their eyes were open, and then he disappears. And they say, the whole time, there was something different about this guy. Our hearts were burning while we talked. Jesus ends up going way beyond what they had hoped for. They had desires in their heart, but Jesus went further and provides more and really what was underneath their actual desires. They had, their longings were lesser than what God wanted to provide. So they had this meaningful encounter and experience with God and it brought new understanding of their desires and a renewed hope and a more powerful Jesus, one who is more than a prophet, but as a king and a savior who does in fact redeem Israel and redeem all of us, not from Roman rule, but specifically to be and to enter into a new kingdom and more importantly, to be saved, redeemed from our own sin that would otherwise keep us separated from God. So as we walk with Jesus, it's important for us to get in touch with our desires. To really think about the answer to the question that I asked you at the start of the service. What do you want? I'm asking you, but Jesus is asking you, what do you want? (laughs) Invite the Holy Spirit to help you see what's underneath, what's at the heart of your desires. And then trusting God who knows your desires, even if you don't tell him, to meet those desires in his way, in his timing, in his grace, in his will, for his will and his purposes. He's a good father. <laughs> he's a good father. And he loves to give us what we want. And if not, the actual desires of our heart, what's underneath our actual desires. He knows what's underneath. It's important for us to turn to him and be aware of our disappointments as well. Having our our hands open to let him reframe our desires and lament the loss of our desires and even be asking God what he desires for us. It's what happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord. (laughs) When we're walking with him, we're committing our way to him, we're hoping in him, we're waiting patiently for him. Those are the things that happen. I know some of you specifically maybe are especially having a hard time and you're walking through something particularly difficult and God doesn't seem to be answering the way that you had hoped. This is a call, lament, specifically is a call to, to kind of alter our perspective The pastor uh, at College Park says this, laments interpret the world through a biblical lens. 
Christians lament because we know the long arc of God's plan, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We know the cause of all lament, which is sin. And we read in Revelation about the ending of all laments. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's in Revelation 21. And a couple of verses before are even, in my mind, are even more impactful. The fact that um, the new heaven and the new earth come down, and that we will be with God, and God will be with us. John, he writes that like two or three different ways, that we will be with God, and God will be with us. Walking with God. <laughs> Therefore, Christians not only mourn the brokenness of the world, but we also long for the day when all weeping will cease. And we wonder how long, how long, O oh Lord. In the meantime, we can confidently hope that one day all of our God-given desires and hopes will be perfectly fulfilled because we do have a living hope. The great news that the disciples eventually discovered on the road to Emmaus was that Jesus was not dead. He was alive. We have a living hope. Living hope is our uh, theme for our year here at Campus House. And then our theme kind of comes from 1 Peter 3. I want to read that to us as we close and prepare for communion. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials or hopes that weren't met. Those are my words, not Peter's. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor with Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These disciples got to see, actually see Jesus. We don't see him, but we love him because he has loved us. And it fills us with joy as we receive the salvation of our souls. So we take uh, communion every week here at Campus House, and we want to remember the fact that Jesus died so that our most basic desire, our need specifically to walk with God, could be met. Because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross with his body and his blood, dying for us, taking our penalty on himself. And because he didn't stay dead, we literally have a living hope who walks with us by his spirit in us as we wait the trials and unmet desires of this life for Jesus to return and usher in our new perfect final and eternal life with him. So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, they're going to bring the emblems, the bread and the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take um, the bread and the cup uh, when you're ready, uh, and then we'll close with the song. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask you to just pass it by uh, and really, truly consider what it is that you want. Um, Jesus wants to hear from you. Uh, tell him. He's ready to listen. <laughs> Let me pray.
Jesus, as we approach Easter in a couple of weeks, we anticipate just the celebration of the fact that you um, came to earth and put on flesh, that you considered equality, equality with God not something to be grasped. Um, as Philippians says, you, you came and, and put on flesh and lived among us and walked with us. And you, went to, and you came here specifically to go to the cross. We thank you for the cross. Your work there that allows us to walk with you now in intimacy and relationship um, where without it we would be lost and not have a, a walking partner in this life. And the best news is that even though you died three days later, you came back to life so that we could live not only for the rest of this life with you, but for eternity. So we want to take the bread and the cup and remember, Jesus, your willingness to lay down your life for us today. Amen.